0: k talk YA now presents evermore part one of the everless duology by sarah holland
1: and YA.
0: I'm Marissa Snyder
1: and I'm Kitty Bradford and this
0: is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast and this week we read up to chapter 15 of the second book in the Everless series by Sarah Holland. This book was called
1: Evermore. Yep and I felt like it was really different from the first book. Did you feel that way? I think second books always are in a way because
0: like the first book there's always so much information dumping to like get into the world and explain how it works so I kind of always feel like second books are different um yeah but yeah I mean I I definitely agree uh Jules is in a much different place now than she was before in Everless she is like wanted for two murders that she did not commit
1: and she's kind of on the run yeah and I guess so part of me kind of was thinking at the end of the first book and at this point in the second book what has really changed? And I feel like a lot happened but nothing really changed, which sounds like a weird thing to say, but Well,
0: we're we're not any closer to figuring out how she's going to kind of resolve everything. Like we have the players in place, like we have the sorceress, Caro, we know she's bad. We know Liam is now good and is trying to help her. We're learning a little bit more about the history of the alchemist and the sorceress and mm-hmm. like delving into past lives. But I really don't know, like, how Kara is going to be destroyed.
1: Well, yeah. And, I mean, we... So, at the end of the last book, we ran away. Liam helped us escape. And our plan at that point was to, like, get ready to fight the sorceress. And this book, we get caught. And then we kind of repeated the same thing. We ran away (laughs) with Liam's help. And now we're (laughs) hiding and trying to prepare to fight the sorceress. And... Again, it felt like a lot happened. Like, I didn't feel like nothing was happening while I was reading it, but when I was just kind of doing that, like, okay, so how far have we come? I was sort of like, wait, I feel like we just repeated some of the same stuff.
0: That's very true, because there is a pattern of, like, Liam trying to rescue or, like, get Jules away, and then Jules just ignoring his advice, and just like, oh, let me just make a pit stop at Crofton to visit my good friend, Emma, uh. and it's like she won't stay away. Like, she can't help herself. She's she she's so close to safety, and she keeps turning her back on it to make dumb choices.
1: Well, and I don't really blame her. Like, I know she's just so lost, and like, what a weird thing to be like, oh yeah, you had 11 previous lives, and you're like this kind of bad guy in this religious story that you thought was false growing up, kind of. Like, I mean, like... <laughs> I guess that is a little jarring when you like, put it that way. <laughs> and I still feel like you know, everyone else knows more than she does. And you see her struggling with that even with Liam now where, you know, he, like, brought her to one of her past life homes and Mm. he's, like, explaining things to her and she's, like, grateful but also angry that he's, like, telling her this and she doesn't remember it. You know, so, like, I get, I get like, from, I think she's gone on a journey even though, well, she's definitely been on a journey anyways, but, like, (laughs) when I look at that, like, she's in a different place now and she's been through some stuff, but... I have a question about her going back home and her friend dying for you.
0: Okay, yeah, let's go. Because we kind of... That's kind of where the this book began, right? She stops off at Crofton to say goodbye to Amma. Mm-hmm. And um, we learned that the sorceress is kind of playing games with Jules's blood and she's making it into a weapon and Ivan creates fire from it.
1: Yeah, I like... I don't really get what's going on. So what does jules's blood allow caro to do
0: so i think she is trying to bind other things to blood besides time and so with jules's blood like she found a way first of all she found a way to ingest it so that now she can control jules jules's gift of slowing Mm -hmm. down time so now like if you notice when jules and caro are together jules Mm -hmm. can't use her power but i think the queen is also taking her blood and turning it into a weapon she's like weaponizing it
1: yeah i just i like I agree. I just wasn't really following, how like what the how magic yeah. behind what it the process or is. yeah like like I was like okay I guess I guess you can do that but why and how I was just a little I, bit lost.
0: I mean, I guess if you can bind time to blood, it would make sense that you can bind other things as well. Fair. And I mean, that's pretty dangerous now because she basically set the whole town of Crofton on fire.
1: Yeah. So did she set Crofton? Did she know? that Jules had gone back to Crofton? Was she somehow using her blood to figure out where she was? Or did she just set Crofton on fire because she, like, quote-unquote, knows the alchemist and assumed that she'd go back home and it was, like, really a trap and it just happened to be that she was also in Crofton? Like, did she did she target... Did they kill Alma and set Crofton on fire because they knew that... Jules was there. How I much did they, they know? I think they knew
0: that she was there yeah. and was trying to flush her out. And then Ivan was the one who stabs emma so i think he's like a little minion now and i think she i think caro knew that jules was going to go back because she wouldn't be able to stay away
1: okay so it's more like knowing her personality not like magic i couldn't tell if they were using the blood and the magic because i was like is she even safe where she is now if she can like track her with her blood magic
0: that's a good point i don't know if she can track her but i think she just knew that she wouldn't be able to stay away from Emma because she knew that that was like another person who could potentially break Jules if she killed.
1: Okay, so hypothetically the same thing would have happened if Jules hadn't gone back to Crofton because that was what Carol assumed she would do anyways. So that was her, like she probably still would have set the fight. Yeah, that's true. So at least it's not like she killed her her friend directly. I mean, like she still kind of did it, but she kept I don't know, somewhere less direct than what it felt like in the book.
0: That's what my impression was.
1: And what's her friend's sister gonna do now? I forgot her name already. Ala? Oh,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Al- Alia?
1: Or, it started with oh, an A too, I don't but I forgot. I mean,
0: she's not working for the palace anymore.
1: No, she went home and yeah.
0: We don't really see her. That's gonna be strange. I hope we see her again because. I hope so yeah, too. Yeah, that's an open ended
1: question.
0: <laughs> oh, um, man. Yeah. I'm um, also. I'm I'm just really interested how she's going to kill Carol because we have that scene too, after they kidnap Jules from Crofton, they take her back to the dungeons, and we learn that Carol wants to kind of do to Jules what she did to the prince to the, prince, to the queen, where she wants to like hollow her out and kind of make her her own puppet, mm-hmm. and then we have that great scene where they fight and Jules stabs her, mm-hmm. but then like the blood flows back into her body and she revives was that like the queen using a second life or can she not die
1: I don't know I was getting confused by that too because I also because you know how Jules was like I want to go closer to her but I know I shouldn't but then she like did go closer to her and then the blood went back I was like did she just undo it on accident or was that happening anyway I I like I don't know why I'm like having a lot of trouble following or picturing when the magic e stuff is happening Mm -hmm. yeah
0: that's fair And I mean, Liam had a good point where he was like, you two are locked in an epic, ancient battle that has been going on for centuries. Like, did you really think just stabbing her was going to kill her? Like, that makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, it does. And hasn't she now had another one of her past life memories? She also remembers stabbing her or she thinks she remembers stabbing her. So obviously, the sorceress has never actually died. Yeah, that's not a so great maybe, way. maybe this is just part of the every life she like stabs her and it sucks for a couple of minutes and then she comes back to life and they move on.
0: <laughs> maybe pick a different weapon. Like pick a different way to murder her. That's
1: clearly not working. <laughs> it's so interesting too because again, so they've gone through this 11 times already. This is life 12. I know. And still Ooh. still people think keeping secrets or high. I don't know. I'm just like how I want I need more information or to start putting things together because I don't see how this has happened 11 times and still our best answers <laughs> let's keep people in the dark and just run away and hide and we don't
0: learn anything
1: <laughs> even things like wouldn't one of the other alchemists have figured out that the sorceress was the queen's servant and shared it with the like alchemist fault like the secret committee who's protecting the alchemist? like wouldn't other people know that Kara was the bad guy before this you would think i don't know I'm so confused. It's like, I and I don't know. I think I also, I told you this. I was, I had so much going on this weekend stuff. So I kind of read faster than I normally do. So it might've been on, like, it might've been my fault. Like I might've been reading too fast to understand it or something. But I was just like, I kept being like, I don't even know what just happened in this <laughs> scene. Or I have so many questions. Mostly just about the rules of the magic. I feel like I just don't really understand the magic in this world very well.
0: I agree. Even like when, she goes back to her hometown or whatever. Oh, Beltwood. Mm-hmm. and she meets Steph, the hedge witch, mm-hmm. and she does that magic to try and do the um the, the blood reg- blood regression. Yeah. Even that mm-hmm. scene, I was like, "What is she doing?" <laughs> like they were like throwing all this stuff together, and then she like conjures a flower that she eats, like a smoke flower. I don't know. It's like the magic doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, so I agree with you on that.
1: And part of me is like, oh, maybe that's the point, because we're, like, kind of on this journey with Jules, and she doesn't really know who she is or what she's capable Like, part of me is like, okay, but I still feel like I'm, I was just starting to get on board with the time is blood, is coins, yeah. is melted and yada yada. So now I'm like, now we just added, like, five more dimensions, and I got <laughs> left behind. But And also we have new characters, right? Yes, so we do.
0: We have... Elias?
1: Mm-hmm. So that's just one of Liam's school friends mm-hmm. who doesn't live there? Or where, does, where is he from? I was kind of confused. So we don't know.
0: We know he's from a different country where their blood is not tied to time. That's all
1: we know. So does that mean, though, that he like came over when the queen opened the borders for a minute and then moved there, but his blood isn't tied to time because he's not a descendant of one of those people? or Good question. Because he went to school in this yeah in Bellwood which is part of the country yeah so even that was confusing me <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a good question that's such a good point I didn't even think of that so you ask so many good questions that I don't have answers to and I'm just reading it like of course school friends. well I
1: think it, it, it's good and bad you know the way we set up this podcast where I think if I were reading this book on my own because it is like a lot's happening like, you know, and the chapters in a good places and it's quick, I feel like I would have just sat down and like finished the book and I wouldn't have stopped and like been like, what should I research? And then really like reflected mm-hmm. on the like it I, it does force me to think about books a little bit differently than I sometimes normally would. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Both a blessing and a
1: curse, I would say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's great and I'm like, oh I've got so many more dimensions that I understand and other times <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't even know what I just read. <laughs>
0: But I hope we learn more about these people because we have Elias and then we have Dana mm-hmm. who, I love that scene where they rescue Jules in the boat and Jules mm-hmm. like jumps off the balcony during the coronation ball. That mm-hmm. was probably my favorite scene.
1: And when she turned on Liam and yeah. to try to protect him. And yeah. Stabs him, pretends to stab him. And I thought that was a cool use of her power and I understood that part where she was like okay I can focus my like time power on these objects and make them age faster like that made sense to me as a I can manipulate time and this is how I'm gonna manipulate like that part I followed (laughs) so that was a cool scene
0: (laughs) and even like when she tries to rewind time when Emma dies and then she realizes the wrongness of it and she stops herself I like that too because I was like okay at least there's limits to this power you know she's not gonna like rewind time to bring people back from the dead yeah i was relieved about that
1: although i also was like why didn't you try this when the queen was stabbed and rowan was stabbed because that was like a second because i feel like there's got to be an amount of i don't know like a point by
0: which it's too late
1: yeah but also in general bringing people back from the dead gets kind of like if you can do that what else can you do yeah
0: yeah, so I hope we see these other people. Um, we also need some kind of reconciliation with Ina, because she, Jules did not tell Ina so far that mm-hmm. she's innocent, and Ina still believes that she killed Roan and the Queen. So she, Ina's not very happy with her sister.
1: She did more than not tell her. She encouraged the lie yeah. to protect her, but she basically like was like, here's my reason for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's smart. And I still have i saw a lot of questions i like that we've seen leah more and i'm interested in him as a character but i hope that we see more development there because his brother was still killed there's some <laughs> weird stuff going on with his family still we know he was like sent to school as a punishment and he's reju- like i'm like why we have to i hope we get more more out of who he is too
0: i still want to know why he threw his brother in a forge when they were children
1: I assume it was an accident, but I agree. There should be... You should address it a little bit. It
0: should definitely come out clearly that it was an accident, because was that the reason he was sent to Belmore?
1: Like... I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, but why was he sent to Belmore? Throwing
0: your brother in a forge would be a good reason.
1: <laughs> and if it wasn't because... Like, if they weren't... If they did get along, if that was just an accident, whatever... Okay, your brother was killed. Yes, it wasn't by Jules, but she was kind of involved, too. I feel like there should be a little bit more, like, struggling with that, even if you weren't super close.
0: Yeah. He doesn't seem fazed by it. Yeah. He's just, like, he's, Liam's just seems strange because he's, like, infatuated with the idea of the alchemist. And I kind of yeah. want to know where that's coming from. Like, we see when they go to the, the Thieves' Fort, uh, that's where the Alchemist used to live, and that's it's that really cool enchanted place where you can only see it if you walk through it with yep. the possession of the alchemist. And I really liked that concept. So it looks like a ruin from the outside, but like essentially only those faithful to the alchemist can enter.
1: And again, that one was this, described, it was like it was a frozen in time. And I was like, okay, that's another yeah. time power. I understand that. I don't get how yep. people can set fires, but I understand things <laughs> involving time. Caro well,
0: set fire to it. Yeah. And the alchemist like preserved it in time. Yeah. But like inside, we see Liam has spent years studying all of Jules Jules's drawings and stories, and he's like decoded her all of her drawings into like a pattern. Um mm-hmm. So he's, like, really driven, and I, I, like you said, I hope we learn kind of why, because it seems like a bit of an odd infatuation to have without reason. Agreed.
1: Unless the reason was just he believes he saw the alchemist when he was a kid. Like, I feel like that would be compelling enough if you were that close to something when you were fairly young. When did he see the alchemist? Like, I mean, like, that's what he saw Jules rewind time and save his brother from the the fire. Right, right. Yeah.
0: That's a good point.
1: But I agree. I mean, I think there's got to be more to him than all of this, especially because he's like turned his back on his like even um, what's her name? The new girl, the w- hedge witch girl. Yeah, she totally gets on board with the fact that Jules is the alchemist pretty quick because her family's known, you know, talked about them, has followed the alchemist, yada, yada, yada. But she's right. kind of freaked out because a girling is helping. She's like, that's yeah. weird. So that we have to acknowledge that at some point, right? Right. So there's a, some enemies there. Yeah. And we have a, a bunch of people we left behind at the girliness Estate too. We had a lot of characters that we met there, like Hinton and... Um, oh, yeah. There was a bunch of... We've met a lot of people, so I'm curious who comes back at some point. Yeah. Like, even Elias and... and uh, what was her name?
0: Donna. Dana?
1: Yeah. Even they we didn't really get to know them very well. Are they going to come back or were they just like a tool to help us get out of that? I hope they come back. I hope so too. And I hope there's, it feels like there's so many more people who know and have helped the alchemists in the past. I want like more information to start being shared and jewels to like have a memory that makes maybe not a lot of sense, but a little bit of sense.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right now they are not coming together very clearly. Although we do have... Speaking of stabbing people and it not working, so when she <laughs> finally has this vision, she finds herself holding this jeweled dagger with a snake handle. And her notes were, I think Liam deciphered them, that it says, a weapon to use against a great evil. So that also was kind of like weird to me because I'm like, okay, I guess she's gonna defeat Carol by stabbing her with this dagger. But what is so great about this dagger? Like,
1: well, yeah, doesn't it seem really similar to stabbing her with a knife which we know doesn't work? <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> That's why when I got there I was like, wait, we've been here. We've done this. Yeah, like, like let's melt her or something
1: or poison her or do something different. Yeah.
0: And I don't understand where this weapon came from, why she's like having visions of it, why it's the weapon to use against it just it doesn't really makes sense to
1: me. We also we still don't even know all that much about the fox and the right. snake. Right. Like they've been referenced a lot. So I actually I looked up if there were any good fables about foxes and snakes to Ooh, see if it was like some I common that. thing that I Um and I found two. Okay. But neither one I think has anything to do with this book, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, I don't even know where this one came from. It doesn't even have a good description, but I looked up fox and snake fables and I came across this one. Mm. So, once a fox lived in a forest and one fine morning he was walking through the forest and he was bored. <laughs> so, he was passing by a huge, long, giant snake that was lying under some trees. And the snake was stretched out all the way, so he saw like how large it was from one side of the path to the other Mm -hmm. and he was super impressed by how big Mm the snake was so he thought to himself wow that's a large snake Mm -hmm. it must eat a lot in order to get that big and then he was like I wish I was as large as the snake so what I need to do is I need to lie on the ground and stretch out my body and if I stretch out enough I will surely become as long as the snake and you know I have to try this immediately Mm -hmm.
0: I can tell you that's not gonna work.
1: Yeah, so he lays down (laughs) on the path by the snake and he starts trying to stretch his body. And, you know, his bones are painful and his muscles are aching and he really hasn't grown very long. But he keeps trying and he keeps trying and he stretches so hard that his stomach bursts and he dies on the spot. Ew! Ew! And the moral of this story is you should not compare yourself with others who are different (laughs) than you are. (laughs) Weird. I don't think that has anything to do with this book. And then this is the other one. This is an Aesop's
0: fable. I love fables so much because they're
1: so creepy. And it's it kind of feels like just. Sometimes I think about like who wrote a. Some fables are like you know really kind of stick with you and have a good message. And sometimes I'm just like, what the, like, I don't even know.
0: Can I tell you a story real quick? Yeah, please. It's horrifying. Um, okay. But it reminds me of a snake story because um, when I was in high school, one of my teachers told me a story that has stayed with me ever since. Um, <laughs> one of, I think it was, I don't know, like a niece of a, school, a teacher or something, she had a pet snake. Mm-hmm. And she really liked the snake, like it was her buddy. And it was like a, one of those big, big snakes. And okay. she used to take it out of the cage and put it on her bed with her while she did homework. And it was okay. just, like, their thing. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then apparently the snake started stretching itself out next to her. Like you said, like, it was just – instead of coiled, it was just, like, one long snake. And, like, while she was laying on her bed doing homework, the snake would, like, stretch out beside her. And it kept doing it. And so finally she was, like, this is kind of weird. Like, let me just ask the vet what's going on. So yeah. she t- asked the vet, and the vet got really quiet. And the vet was, like – you need to not put this snake on your bed anymore and the girl was like why and the vet was like well in the wild if a snake is trying to determine if it can eat a eat something eat an animal it stretches itself out next to it to see if it'll fit oh so my it was the snake was sizing her up to see if it could eat her
1: oh my goodness <laughs> did she keep it's the snake I what did know. she do i Aww. don't know but isn't that terrifying? Also, okay, this is completely unrelated, but I was just, Toby barked while you were telling that story, and I was thinking about, isn't it kind of crazy that a vet knows stuff about snakes and stuff about dogs? Like, don't those seem like they should be completely different <laughs> <Yeah>. animals?
0: <laughs> Thank God, they're oh, very man. different animals.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, Toby does stretch out next to me on the bed, but... Banjo
0: would never eat me. <laughs> also, I would <laughs> definitely not fit inside Banjo.
1: <laughs> okay, also, we gave Toby a bone for his birthday, which was the 14th so this is like two two mm-hmm. two and a half weeks ago and usually he'll like keep it for a day or two and like hide it and do stuff but then he eventually eats it he finally mm. ate it like two days ago he carried it around for mm. two weeks and was hiding it and Aww. I don't know if it was just like he had a new house to hide everything in and he kept like sitting by the door and asking to go out and then running to go get the bone it's oh. been so annoying I'm glad he finally ate it <laughs> That's so cute. Banja does the same thing, too. If we give her something and she,
0: like, determines that it's very precious, she'll just carry it around with her and bury it, like, in our laundry, in the bed sheets, and, anywhere she can And it's find. so funny. He,
1: like, never does that with any toys. Or, you know, like, it's it's only, like, certain things that he does that with. And it's just, like, he knows it's a bone. He really wants to bury <laughs> he knows it. He what they're thinking. He hid it all over the house. You know, he's like, oh, wait, Dad's not going on this walk. I better hide it so that when we're gone he doesn't eat it. I don't know. What does he think we're going to do with his bone? <laughs> You can't be trusted with it. <laughs> yeah. We look suspicious. So do you want to hear Aesop's fable about the fox and the snake? I definitely do. Okay. So in this story, the snake is crossing a river and gets carried away by the current. But it manages to wriggle onto a bundle of thorns, which was floating by at the same time. And therefore, he's going quickly down the river and is alive and mm-hmm. all's good. And a fox is standing on the bank and... And he catches the snake out of the corner of his eye and he t- turns around and he calls out, Gad, the passenger fits the ship. What? And that's, that's the whole story. No. That's it. And I was like, this can't be the whole story. So <laughs> I looked it up. I found the same story like five times. This is the whole story. What is that supposed <laughs> to mean? I don't know that snakes are bundles of thorns. I don't know. That is bizarre. I don't even get it. Aesop, yeah. what
0: were you thinking with that one? Not your best effort. Yeah.
1: So then I looked up. <laughs> This is my weird research. I know. I've gone off on a tangent now. (laughs) So then I was like, okay, that wasn't a good research thing. I should look up how long it would take for ropes and boulders and things to decompose in real life to understand how much magic, you know, Jules was using during this escape scene. Okay. But then I got kind of depressed because I found all these lists of, like, items that end up in landfills and how long they live there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But... It said that a rope will be there for 3 to 14 months in a landfill before it starts to decompose. Is that Mm -hmm. it? So that was kind of surprising and not as bad. Plastic bags are like a 1,000 years. Plastic bottles are 450 years. (gasps) Leather shoes are 40 years.
0: And styrofoam, like that'll be there with the cockroaches after nuclear winter.
1: Sanitary napkins and children's diapers, 800 years.
0: What? That's what it says. I always heard that those were really bad for the environment, but that think how many get used
1: cigarettes one to 12 years also i don't know where i got this list from so i wouldn't necessarily say that's science so then i was like okay i don't want to research that anymore either so then i researched the really uplifting topic of cities that have burned down
0: (laughs) oh boy (laughs) well i'm living in one chicago
1: yeah so this one this Article I found. So yeah, the story. You want to tell the story of Chicago, the the fire, how the fire got started. Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocked over a
0: lantern, and it fell in the hay and destroyed everything. The end.
1: (laughs) So according to this article. The reporter who originally wrote that story admitted 22 years later that he made up the whole story to sell more newspapers. That's right, because the cow was exonerated,
0: or Mrs. O'Leary was exonerated, someone was.
1: Yeah, but she was, like, scorned by her neighbors, and, like, there was a ton of media about her, and all this stuff, and then eventually this man named Cone, later in his life, said it was probably him and his friends who knocked over a lantern in the barn after they were caught gambling by one of their mothers. (gasps) But some people... And they blamed it on this poor old lady. And her cow. yeah, And her her cow who didn't do anything. But, you know, Mrs. O'Leary, we may not know her name today if it hadn't been for this story. So, good, bad, I don't know.
0: We are remembering her. She did go down in
1: history. (laughs) But this is another theory that people had. Um, I guess the same night that the Chicago fire happened, there were a lot more wildfires in the Great Lakes area. Mm. So some people think that a broken-up comet came through and lit all these fires whoa do
0: you think someone would have seen that though
1: I don't really know what a broken up comet means like is that like a shooting fire from the sky (laughs) I mean but like how broken up is it
0: I mean any kind of shooting fire from the sky
1: I think you would notice that yeah but if you have a cow to blame no I agree (laughs) I mean that's not like a super that was I just thought this was Again, it's just funny. They're like, no one will believe me if I say fire <laughs> fell from the sky, so I'm going to play this cow. I don't want to go to an asylum. It was the cow! No, I saw something fall from the heavens! <laughs> um, so then, other cities that have burned to the ground before. Can I guess some of them? Yes. London. Yep. Do you know what happened in London? Mm, wasn't it a factory? From September 2nd to September 5th in 1666, 70,000 of the city's 80,000 inhabitants were homeless after a fire burned central London to the ground. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was a small store fire in a bakery on Pudding Lane. Pudding Lane. And, yeah. So I guess at at this time in, like, the 1600s, the, like, main firefighting technique was fire breaks. But Mm. the city's leadership couldn't decide, like, where to put them, I guess, or something. So Mm -hmm. the fire, like, kept spreading so eventually the Tower of London is credited with stopping the blaze when they use gunpowder to finally create enough, I don't know, places to break up the fire. I don't even know how you use gunpowder to do that.
0: Oh, so that's how they fought fire in the in the past? With
1: gunpowder? I guess so. Fire breaks. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Does that mean it like... <laughs> Wouldn't
0: gunpowder explode? I don't really know chemistry, so... Yeah,
1: I didn't do enough research on that. But
0: that's a good question. Cl- I mean, that, okay. that would be interesting to learn. Like, how did they fight fires back then? I don't...
1: I don't know. Yeah, that would have been a good research topic, yeah. <laughs> I have three more cities. you want to guess any more?
0: Yes. I want to guess all of them. Um, la, 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 Paris.
1: Only two more on this list are, or two more of the three are in the U.S. Oh. On this list.
0: Um, oh, 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 oh. Centralia. What? Centralia is in Pennsylvania, and it's still on fire. Oh. Have you heard about that one? No. That's not on your list of burning cities? Nope. It was like a coal scene that caught on fire, and so they just buried it, and it's like still on fire to this day, but the Centralia is now like a ghost town.
1: Huh. Yeah. Maybe it's not a big enough city. I don't know. Maybe not. Okay. Or maybe the story just isn't as fascinating as some of these. I don't I know. I think it's pretty fascinating. That is pretty fascinating. All right. Uh. San Francisco. Yep. San Francisco is one of them. So... In 1906, there was an earthquake that hit San Francisco that was only topped after Hurricane Katrina came oh, as like, one of the most devastating disasters. But the earthquakes didn't cause as much damage as the fires caused by the earthquakes. So ruptured gas mains from the earthquake set over 30 fires, and there were 490 blocks of the city that burned over four days and nights. Oh, my God.
0: That's terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they okay, so I guess this is what the, so this talks a little bit more about fire breaks. So the army was brought in to assist with fighting all these fires, and they would dynamite various buildings to create these fire breaks. But in this case, the explosives often created additional fires. So yeah,
0: like I, yeah, I said,
1: five thousand buildings were destroyed. Oh no, It I mean it's still an important city, but at the time it was the most important West Coast city in the U.S.
0: Yeah, that's terrible. Wow, that's terrible.
1: Because of all that, L.A. became a really big city because a lot of things moved down there afterwards.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: There's one more U.S. city and one more non-U.S. city. Detroit. Nope. I don't know. I'll give you a hint. It was during the War of 1812. Uh, New Mexico. Nope. D.C. (laughs) I don't know anything about the War of 1812, clearly. Well, (laughs) I don't really either, to be fair new mexico is a state it's not even a city i just rolled with it i did decide not to let you guess anymore though i was like nope (laughs) she knows nothing must give her the answer (laughs) That's
0: so embarrassing
1: okay so so the british were trying to punish americans for invading canada so i guess we invaded canada during the war of 1812 fun fact (laughs)
0: Um, sorry
1: canada yeah so luckily the british troops. Orders were to only burn the public government buildings instead of like all the houses or like the whole city. So, a lot of the private buildings were spared, including the U.S. Patent Office, because some guy in the British Army convinced everyone that the patents were really important, so they shouldn't burn them. So, I actually do remember that because that's the whole thing like we had to rebuild the White House, yeah. So, they yeah. and they talked about moving the capital to Cincinnati afterwards, but oh, the Washington. Business people convinced them to rebuild in the capital. I didn't like that mm-hmm. idea. And then the last one on my list is Tokyo.
0: Ooh, would not have
1: guessed that one. Gosh, could you imagine if it caught on fire today? Well, and this was also more of a military attack, not like some oh, dumb okay. cow thing. So <laughs> during, like when Hiroshima and Nagasaki, when that was happening, there was mm-hmm. also a huge firestorm, firebombing of Tokyo by American troops on March 9th, and there were 335 B-29 Super Fortress bombers that took oh, off en route to Tokyo, and they actually said, um, if you don't count the radiation poisoning later that ended up killing a lot of people, this was more devastating, like more people died than from the nukes themselves in this attack. Oh my goodness. So... Yeah, 1,700 tons of bombs were dropped, destroying 16 square miles of the city and killing over 100,000 people. Oh my, 100,000 people. Oh my gosh. That's so scary. Yep. So, and this, the final piece of this article says, here's what you should keep in mind if you're designing a city or something. Mm. You should use flame resistant material because people used wood way after we had other material because it was like cheap and easy and yada yada. Yeah. You should plan a sensible layout for your city. And, this one's important, don't give people a reason to show up and light it all on fire. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> it's all—it's our fault if people come and fireball us. Yeah. <laughs> or someone got caught gambling, or a cow stood too close to a lantern.
0: Or some baker <laughs> was not watching his buns, set Pudding Lane on fire. I love that. I love that there's a bakery on Pudding Lane. Agreed. It's so great. So yeah. Okay, well, I did some research into uh repressed memories oh that was smart because i thought it was interesting when she was trying to do the whole memory regression blood thing blood Mm -hmm. regression um to try and like bring back memories that she had when she was younger or from past lives and there's like a lot you could learn about repressed memories and it's actually really controversial so there are some studies that say that repressed memories are memories that have been blocked unconsciously due to um, stress or trauma. So uh, most repressed mm-hmm. memories have something to do with um, you know, something really bad that happened. You see it a lot in victims of war, um, natural disasters, uh, victims of rape, um, and then there are other kinds of assault. Those are usually when mm-hmm. memories get repressed as like a survival mechanism. But some psychologists don't believe in repressed memories or don't buy into it because they think that it's actually creating false memories instead
1: of recovering actual memories. I feel like I've heard about that when I read like crime books and stuff.
0: Yeah. So there was a classic experiment in memory research done by a woman named Elizabeth Loftus and it became became known as the Lost in the Mall Experiment. Okay. And so she was trying to prove that traumatic amnesia or repressed memories, that the act of recalling them can actually implant false memories in your mind, which okay. are called pseudo memories, which you did some research on pseudo memories previously. Yep. So in the Lots in the Mall experiment, um, subjects were given a booklet. And in that booklet, there were three accounts of real childhood events from their past written by family members. So they'd be like, "Oh, remember that time we went to Disney World and you threw up on the teacup ride," things like that. And then uh-huh. in all of them, they also included a fourth account of a, of a completely false event of being lost in a shopping mall. So there'd be this okay. the story being like, "Oh, remember that time we went to a shopping mall and we we lost you and you were terrified and we couldn't find you," and they said a quarter of the subjects, after reading all of these counts, a quarter of the subjects reported remembering this fictitious event and were able to elaborate on it with a lot of detail. Wow. Yeah. And so this kind of experiment also led to a lot of other ones being done. And there was another one where um, the person who was conducting this experiment, managed to convince half of his subjects that they had survived an animal attack, like a vicious attack by a dog or another kind of animal during their childhood.
1: Did they ever do, like, happy experiments, like convince (sighs) everyone they had won the Olympics? Yeah, wouldn't that
0: be great? It's all, like, these,
1: well, I guess it's, like, you wouldn't repress that memory to
0: begin with. You would hold on to that one.
1: The stress was really bad. Um, So does that mean you only can create false negative memories? No.
0: No, I think you can create all kinds of false memories, but the ones that you repress are the ones associated with trauma. Gotcha.
1: What about just things that you just, like you can't remember every detail of every, like what about, you know, like if someone asked you, what did you do March 12th, 2016? You'd be like, I have no Hmm. idea, right? Right. It reminds me of those, like, trials where they go up to people and you're like, how did you not know what you were doing? But then you're like, oh, that was three months ago and, or whatever. But, like, what – can you convince yourself sure. that you remember a day, like an ordinary day that
0: – Yeah, you can. So that's called filling in. And, like, if you give people – Basically, three facts, like you did X, Y, Z, people will be able to fill in the details, but a lot of times they won't be true. <laughs> and I'm sure it's based on like things that you have a pattern of doing, like, oh, every time I went to the mall, I go here. So you would say, like, oh, I went here,
1: you know? Yeah. Or, yeah, you remember going to the mall and then doing that, so you just assume it was that day. It's not, like, intentional, but yeah.
0: Um, but I thought it was interesting because of how prevalent sometimes repressed memories can be, there was a study done where there were victims of child abuse and they had documentation proving that this happened. Uh-huh. And in this case, they inter they re-interviewed uh, the adults many many years later, and thirty eight percent denied any memory of the abuse. Wow! So they couldn't remember it at all. Thirty eight percent.
1: How old were these kid? How? Uh, that's a good question. That's, I mean,
0: that's an interesting question because they say, like, age three is when you start forming memories because before then, you like, your brain's not developed enough, you know, to... Commit
1: things to long-term memory or whatever. Commit
0: them to long-term memory, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I found this article that I thought was really interesting, too. It was um, a case of a woman who recovered memories of being abused by her mother. Um, Her name is Nicole Klemper, Mm -hmm. and this was, like a case that sparked a really big debate in psychology about repressed memory because she was four when she accused her mother her biological mother of molesting her and she and her I guess her father and her mother were getting a divorce and then as part of the custody evaluation they were interviewing the daughter and you know evaluating her Um, and this four year old girl mentioned that her mother had molested her Oh, I guess she's she's six by then. So she was six, actually. And she's describing this in detail, how this happened. Mm -hmm. And so her mother ended up losing custody of her daughter, and she went to live with her father and her stepmother. And then when um, this woman was 12, her father had a stroke, and she had to move. Um, She didn't really have any family members to step in and take care of her. So she was kind of left with barely any family, and so she... Decided that she wanted to try and get closer to her mother because her mother had completely vanished from her life. Mm -hmm. And she didn't remember what was on the video and she couldn't remember why she wasn't seeing her mother. She just knew that her mother was estranged, but she didn't know the details for why. And so by the age of 16, she knew that there were videos evaluating her when her parents divorced and she knew that something in those videos was why she was given custody to her father but she could not remember what was on them so she asked to see them and it was kind of difficult because they, they had these videos and they were like well is it wrong to withhold them from her but you know you can't just like send the 17 year old these videos and like say hey here you go and have her see this thing unfold where she admits to being abused by her mother so she watched it with with someone like the people who had the videos they were like come in and we'll watch them together and like we will handle this we will just let you have to handle this by yourself
1: hmm. so did her mom deny the abuse i believe so okay it wasn't like she was like "No." right and so
0: when she was watching these videos the memories started to come back and she goes back and forth where she's recalling things that happened but then also being less confident that it was deliberate abuse so even her memory of the incident is murky, according to her. Um, and even today, she's unsure. She says, like, some days she thinks it happened and some days she thinks it didn't. And it was in a, published in an academic article. She gave permission to use her story. Um, they used a pseudonym. But it's just a really... It had never been documented before where there was har- there was evidence of a child admitting to something happening and then an adult not having any memory of that, of that abuse. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really interesting. And like, you can't obviously like have a test for whether or not your memories are accurate. And like, in cases of abuse like that, like the worst thing you can do is say, oh, we don't believe this actually happened. We think you're creating false memories. Like, of course you want to believe the victim. So yeah, it's just kind of an interesting debate, I guess.
1: Well, doesn't it even make you think of like, think about like people that you had a falling out with in high school or something and Mm -hmm. like maybe you remember exactly what happened and they probably remember exactly what happened and if you like ran into them today it's so old you'd be like oh haha like remember that thing that happened you'd probably like tell completely different stories about it yeah but like or you know I mean like it's just kind of crazy to think about
0: how you remember something versus how someone else remembers it
1: Mm -hmm. have you read educated
0: no but we're reading it for book club this year or this month
1: Okay, well, this doesn't give away anything plot wise, so I won't say anything detail specific, but she makes a few times when she's telling stories, she'll mention different people's accounts of the same event. Like this is what I remember Mm -hmm. happening, but someone said, you know, this person actually said that or that person wasn't really there. But it's kind of interesting because I feel like it's an interesting way to tell the story to be like, this is my memory. And there's like five different versions of this memory. Like, everyone who I remember being involved said someone different was in the room for that scene. That's interesting. And stuff, and it's... But it's also kind of true. I mean, you know, like, for things that you can't verify as fact fact and you're asking people's recollection, it's like, oh yeah, everyone remembered someone said, to the kitchen, but I thought it was mom and you thought it was dad and someone thought it was Bobby down the street or whatever. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird how every so many people can have vastly different memories or recollections of the same event and what makes you hold on to certain things
1: yeah well and especially if you have a false memory it feels real so how do you like yeah
0: how do you talk yourself out of that (laughs) no
1: how do you undo a false memory and also
0: like i don't know like there's therapy that you can do to recover repressed memories but part of me would be like i wouldn't want to remember that unless it is something where you're struggling and you don't know why, and you think recalling that repressed memory could help you heal. I mean, I guess I could understand it in yeah. that case, for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I remember even when I was looking at dogs, there was looking at this one dog braid and my mom was like, You were bit by one of those when you were a kid. What? And, I was, and I was like, No, I like, I don't I was never bit by a dog. What are you talking about? And she still insists and I have no memory of it whatsoever, even after the suggestion is there or whatever. And I didn't really, you know, we didn't have like a whole discussion. I didn't like verify with anyone else or anything or ask my sisters if it was actually them or anything like that. But Mm. isn't that kind of crazy? It's like, I feel like if I had been bit by a dog, I would remember that.
0: I feel like you would too. Maybe you repressed it. (laughs) Maybe. So that you could survive and keep a love of dogs because that would be terrible if you were afraid of dogs. Wouldn't that be?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not at all.
0: (laughs) I was afraid of dogs when I was little.
1: I mean, it's a normal thing to be afraid of. I just...
0: But I remember why I was afraid of dogs. I was afraid of dogs because I really liked elevators, and I was, like, really close to an elevator, like, really excited for this elevator door to open. And the elevator door opened, and this golden retriever, like, jumped out of the elevator. And it was really excited to see, like, a small child at its level, and it, like, jumped on me and knocked me over, and I freaking lost it. And I was afraid of dogs for, like, a while after that. that's fair that would be scary but I guess what's interesting is we're only born with two fears have you ever heard of that no we're only born with the fear of falling and the fear of loud sounds and everything else is a fear that we acquire based on experience
1: Hmm. that makes sense I guess it's just kind of crazy the brain again it's like fascinating and kind of freaks me out when I think about it too much we don't have to think about it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to freak you out. <laughs> well, it's even, it even reminds me of this book, you know, it's like, but this is like real life science stuff, but I'm like, I don't understand all the rules. Like, how does this magic work?
0: <laughs> well, I feel like what's going to happen next is they're going to find this dagger, this magic dagger. Do
1: you think they're going to find it or do you think they have to make it?
0: I think they have to find it because I like that they're traveling more. Like they're going to seek the river of red next where the sorceress drowned her. Mm -hmm. and I think we're gonna like do a trip down memory lane and like hit some important places and I think we'll find the dagger in one of those places
1: okay but here's my other question so Uh Liam and crew also were like you can't kill the sorceress with a dagger and also why don't you just go and hide out and live your life to the fullest or like no one seems to want her to kill the sorceress no I think they
0: do eventually they want her to like be safe until she figures out how to kill her I think that's what
1: it is They just want her to be safe.
0: Well, they know that, like, Jules is tied to the fate of Sempera, or the kingdom. And so I think they know that Carol has to be destroyed, but they just don't want... I mean, Jules is on her last life. You know? Like, this is it. I know. So, yeah, keep her safe until you figure out where this dagger is, and then have at it. But in the meantime, keep yourself safe, Jules.
1: I really want to hear more about these past lives. Like, in some of them, did they at least, like, she was born and she started studying her old lives and they got working right away and that didn't work and that's why they've gone to this version. I don't know.
0: I love the idea of past lives too. Too bad I already did research for that in another episode or I would have totally brought <laughs> back more reincarnation stories because I love that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting for sure. Maybe I'll
0: just do that again next week anyway. <laughs> more <laughs> reincarnation stories.
1: You can never have too There's so many lives. I
0: know. Um, so, okay, I have to say something because not this is not related to this book but you just sent me a picture of all of the books you read in March oh yeah you read 16 books in March that has to be some kind of record
1: it is. It's my personal record for pages read and I tied for books read in a month.
0: Oh my god. But um,
1: it's from Goodreads. So it's books that I finished in March. So technically Muse of Nightmares I think we had read the first half in February and the second half in March or oh, something okay. like that. And then um, same with the book james and i started we started it in january and we were reading like a chapter every few days gotcha. and we finished it in march so but
0: still if you started all of them or if, if like the latest when you started was in january that's still three months
1: yeah these are all books i finished in march and when you think i mean like i also started evermore in march yeah. and it's not on the so it kind of all balances out i like to think so yeah, I read 5,922, or I finished 5,922 pages worth of books this month, or last month. That's
0: amazing. So which were your favorites?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I read a lot of really different ones. I loved Muse of Nightmares still. Um, How about a
0: non-podcast book?
1: I liked Daisy Jones and the Six a lot. I liked A Woman is No Man a lot, After the Eclipse. I liked a lot of them, actually. It was a pretty good month. I had never read The Alchemist either. I liked that one a lot.
0: Part of the reason that... It's a little bit hard to read this book is... I mean, we just finished Muse of Nightmares, which was amazing. And I also just started The Ruin of Kings. Have you heard of that?
1: Just from your Goodreads.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, it's by Jen Lyons. They were they were setting it up to be the next Game of Thrones.
1: Oh. So I was
0: really interested to read it. And it's really good, but it is extremely intense (laughs) it's like the best way i can describe it there's like two timelines that you're trying to follow there's two narrators there's footnotes which i stopped reading because i can't read footnotes in a book it was too much (laughs) yeah it's too much and i and i started reading them and then i was like okay this isn't really adding too much to the story so i started skipping them
1: but it's really good but it's just a lot to take in an active reading assignment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't need that in my life. Um, but I also just finished *The Golem and the Genie*.
1: Oh yeah, that's when you're reading with this, right?
0: Yeah, I read that with this. Um, one of our friends, he recommended it to me, and it was such a beautiful story. Okay. I mean, it was like eight hundred pages, but I flew through it. It was just like it was such a unique story that I had. I hadn't read really anything like it. It was about like a golem from Hebrew jewish folklore Mm -hmm. and then a genie from middle eastern folklore and these like two mythological beings meet in new york (laughs) and like at like the turn of the 19th century it's so it's like such an interesting book and it's beautiful and it it was just a great story
1: i'll have to check that one out highly recommend it was funny because again i follow you on goodreads and You said it was 800 pages, but the first version of it that you had on your (laughs) Goodreads was like a lot shorter, and I was like, ooh, like she's almost done. And then all of a sudden you had read more pages. You had read like 300 out of 250 pages, and I was like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) It's a time warp. (laughs) This math doesn't make sense. Did you read
0: um, The Steel Prince yet? The first volume of the Shades of Magic graphic novel? I have not. I just finished it today. Did you like it? I did. I think it's like the backstory is pretty interesting. Um... I kind of felt the way that you did about this book, though, where, like, a lot was happening, and I was like, what is going on? (laughs) Like, I think it's hard sometimes to tell a story in just pictures, so, and, like, a little bit of dialogue. So that was my only complaint. But the illustrations are really cool.
1: Cool. I'll have to check it out. Who illustrated it? Not her, right?
0: Um, no. It was illustrated by Andrea Olympieri.
1: That's a cool name. Isn't that great? Cool. And Marissa... Meyer for the month of April is doing a 30-day creativity challenge are you starting that with me
0: I'm on board I don't know anything about it though you just sent it to me today
1: <laughs> I don't really know much about it either I, I think sh- today it was like clean off your desk or something
0: oh wait did it did uh, was there a prompt that I missed yep oh crap you're already behind <laughs> I'm already behind <laughs> where do I find it
1: if you, do you follow her? Marissa Meyer, author, is her name.
0: Oh, I follow her. Day
1: one, tidy your workspace. The first prompt is to prep our workspace. So basically, <laughs> wherever that is, whatever she said, you know, keep the stuff that helps you. But create a space for the next 30 days where you can work. So I... I did laundry today, Does that count? <laughs> sure. I basically just okay. moved all my mess to a different part of my room and cleaned up the desk area, so...
0: Oh, she does specify that she's not going to tell you to get rid of your book, so that's good. Oh know. <laughs> Whew, thank God.
1: I, I would have had to block her if that was the case.
0: <laughs> okay, I will do this with you. I'm excited.
1: We'll see if I can keep up, but it'll be fun. I'll try to... It's a good goal. I'll use some of my reading time this month for other activities. <laughs>
0: um, what else do we have to do?
1: Um, We need to come up with a fan name for next week. So, oh my gosh, that's right. Because we have only half a book left. I know it's then it's over. I, I hope we get some of these questions answered because it's actually only a, like a couple. It's not even two hundred 200 pages, pages left. That, yeah, <laughs> and we have like eleven lives that still don't make sense and I don't know. I'm very curious.
0: Well, we always kind of feel this way. Like we have so much left to learn and not a lot of time. So
1: yeah, I guess that's a. I guess it would be a bad book if we were like, well, we pretty much know everything and we still have two hundred pages. <laughs> like, what are we gonna do? <laughs>
0: It's just going to be one long (laughs) epilogue. Yeah.
1: Good point.
0: All right, so we'll think of a fan name for next week. Um, We already did our favorite scenes.
1: Ooh, do you want to joke? Yeah, I guess you have to tell me a joke. And it's April Fool's Day, so
0: no pressure. Oh,
1: did you you do any pranks today? Not one. My sister told... My sister teaches three-year-olds. She's a preschool teacher. And she told the kids that she was bringing them brownies. (laughs) And she just had a bunch of construction paper (gasps) E's.
0: that were oh. on
1: brown construction paper. They were not pleased, she said. That's so mean. <laughs> James posted something on Facebook that we were selling our cars.
0: I did see that. And the
1: only, like, clue that it that it wasn't real was he – because he does sell cars all the time. The only clue it wasn't real was he said something like, I want to get a, a minivan or something, Uh-oh. like some not cool car at all. And that was the only clue people had that it was, like, not did real. Did people figure it out? A lot of people actually – I mean, I feel like a lot of people did – But a lot of people also asked for more detail because they wanted to buy his car. (laughs) He was pleased. All right, let's hear your joke. Okay, what do you call a man with no nose and no body? (laughs) I don't know. Nobody knows. (laughs) (laughs) That one's really dumb, but I thought it was funny. I really
0: like that. No, that's a good one.
1: (laughs) What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Oh
0: my god, I know this Oh, what's up? No, wait. What's up?
1: <laughs> Where's Popcorn? I was going
0: to say something. I was going to say, what's up, Pop? But then I was like, no, you said mom. So I was kind of close in my head.
1: I went to the zoo the other day. There was only one dog in it. It was a shit zoo.
0: <laughs> I thought you were like going to start telling me a story about going to the zoo. Oh, my God. I really like that one. I'm going to text that one to my cousin. <laughs>
1: I haven't been at the zoo in a really long time and I think about it.
0: It's more of a summer activity.
1: Well, it's like perfect weather here right now.
0: Oh, that's true. Oh, right. I live in Arizona. (laughs) It's perfect weather. I mean,
1: (laughs) yeah, this weekend we were like hiking every day and like walking around and it's been great, but it's about to get hot. It's already like highs in the 80s. Oh,
0: that sounds really terrible. I feel really bad for you. It's negative
1: no it's great right now <laughs> if it would just stay like this that would be wonderful it's
0: still 20 degrees and it will still be 20 degrees in june
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can come visit i will actually
0: okay if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com or we're also on facebook and instagram at mnktalkya
1: bye bookworm. and now we're gonna
0: go oh <laughs> <'Cause- laughs> <No>, that be good <laughs> <laughs> tell us what we're gonna do what are we gonna do
1: now we're gonna go finish this whole book and the whole series and kill the sorceress Mwahaha. with
0: the with snake knife with the snake knife. <laughs> did you get that instead of steak knife uh. a snake knife <laughs> okay <laughs> we have to go now
1: all right bye bookworms go get a
0: library card.